This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Let us listen to the reading of God's holy word. Jesus says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us again together today. We pray that you would speak to all of us what you want us to hear, what you want us to know, how we may live for you. And so we give this time to you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our sermon series this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, a series that we have been calling Making the Good Life Real. We've given this series of messages this title, Because in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus gives us his description, his vision, his take on what the good life really looks like in the kingdom of God. So far, if you've been with us over the several weeks, you will remember that we looked at the Beatitudes. We have talked about the kind of influence that we are to have as Christians in our world. We have talked about the kind of righteousness that Jesus encourages us to live by. We've, we've talked about how Christian love helps with relational pain. We've talked about the kind of piety Jesus looks for in his disciples, a piety that is saturated in and out by prayer. We have also talked about how to deal with temptation and overcome materialism and influence uh, or indifference in our lives. Now, this morning, we are focusing on the topic, judging others. Now, some of you may be wondering where the title to this sermon comes from and how it relates to judging others. Maybe you didn't even look at the title, but go ahead and look at the title if you haven't. In all honesty, the title, the sermon title, actually comes from a sermon on this passage that I heard preached 42 years ago when I was a seminary intern at First Presbyterian Church in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, The senior pastor, Dr. David Dilworth, one summer did a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, frankly, I don't remember a thing about the series, and I don't remember anything Dr. Dilworth said in this particular sermon. I just remember the sermon title, and I've remembered it all these years, Logs, Dogs, and Frogs. Now, I know where the logs and dogs come from, but I have no idea where frogs fit in. Certainly, there were frogs 
in the Sea of Galilee where Jesus grew up and ministered. But as far as I can tell, Jesus doesn't say anything about frogs uh, in the Sermon on the Mount or anywhere else for that matter. I suspect Dr. Dilworth named that sermon that way because frogs rhymes with logs and dogs. And I think he thought, I need three things here, logs, dogs, and frogs. I really do. But it's interesting what we remember. 42 years later, I still remember that. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't going to preach on this passage. Two weeks ago, Sarah asked if I'd switch with her. Um, and uh, I was going to preach on another passage. And this was the passage. And I thought to myself, oh, I've just got to use that title uh, because I've remembered it all this year. And this might be all these years. And this might be my last opportunity. Just couldn't resist it. In many ways, though, the title does fit since in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus does indeed talk about logs and dogs. Now, because of time today, I'm not going to be talking about dogs, although I saw a box in the trash by the side of the road on Thursday. We were walking by, and the box said, long live dogs. And, you know, I kind of think, as I thought about it, probably there may have been a puppy or something in that. You know, they're telling us it's really difficult to get puppies anymore because of the pandemic. So I don't know why it said that, long live dogs. But I'm not going to be talking about dogs, but I will be talking about logs. In these, few, in these few verses, Jesus says to us two, I think, important things for us to remember when we think about this whole topic of judging others. First of all, Jesus says that in order to make the good life real, this kingdom life that he has come to bring real, we need to learn how to refrain from judging others. Listen again to what he says in verse 1. He says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. What does Jesus mean, do not judge? Well, Jesus could mean several things. Certainly, I don't think Jesus is saying here that we should not have courts of law or judges or that we as his disciples should never be discerning, that we should never make moral and ethical and spiritual judgments, especially when something is clearly evil or wrong or harmful. No, in fact, in the passage that follows this one in verses 15 through 20, Jesus says very clearly that there are times when we must make judgments, we must be discerning, about right and wrong. And in this context, he's especially talking about false prophets and false teachers and the truth and things that obviously are against God's will and God's word or that will be hurtful for others. The word translated judge here comes from the Greek word that literally means to condemn or judge overly harshly or too quickly. One thing certainly Jesus is referring to, I believe, when he says do not judge, is that harsh, critical, self-righteous attitude, spirit that sometimes we fall into when thinking about or dealing with others. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates this particular verse in his translation called The Message. He says it this way, don't pick on people jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. 
That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging, end of quote. So what I think Jesus is warning us against here is that tendency that I suspect some of us at least have to at times be overly derogatory or harsh or critical of others, to find fault in others, to assume the worst possible motives in others. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this a very difficult teaching of Jesus to follow. I honestly do. I mean, I'm the first to admit that I struggle with a judgmental attitude at times. You know, it's so easy sometimes to be overly critical when someone says or does something that I don't like or I think is wrong. Maybe some of you struggle with that as well. I think Jesus especially focuses here on the person who delights in finding fault in others and can't resist pointing it out. While they can clearly see the faults in, in those around them, it is very difficult for them to see their own faults. I remember a Peanuts cartoon that shows Lucy talking to Linus. Linus is reading a book. He's sitting in a chair. And Lucy says to Linus, you know, it's very strange. It happens just by looking at you. And Linus looks up from his book and asks, what happens? Lucy replies, I can feel a criticism coming on. There's another Peanuts cartoon that shows Linus and Lucy together. And Linus has his security blanket and his thumb in his mouth, but he's obviously troubled by something. And turning to Lucy, he asks, why are you always so anxious to criticize me? Lucy replies, oh, I, I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. Exasperated, Linus throws his hands up and he shouts, but what about your own faults? And without any hesitation, Lucy says, I have a knack for overlooking them. <laughs> Some people have a knack for finding the faults in others, but overlooking their own faults. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you're like that at times. I read a letter to Dear Abby that reminded me of this. It was written by a woman who felt that she had been judged or criticized her whole life by her older sister. And this woman, who signed her letter, sick of sister's criticism, described how her sister judged and criticized just about everything she did. This woman decided to get married again. She'd been widowed, apparently, for about eight years, and she decides to get married again. And she said her sister criticized just about everything she wanted to do with the wedding. And in her reply, Abby said, uh, agreed that her sister did sound rather harsh, judgmental, but Abby ended her response by saying that she shouldn't be too hard on her sister. After all, she said, siblings, older siblings tend to criticize younger siblings, siblings out of habit. And I don't remember if that's all she said. I, I, I'm sure it wasn't. But I, I kept remembering that. And I remember when I read that response, I thought to myself, well, that might be true. <laughs> but that still doesn't make it right. The truth is, no matter where it comes from, Judging others uncharitably or unfavorably or unfairly, criticizing others in negative ways, no matter how in well-intentioned it might be or how even deserved it might be or seem to be, it's usually not the best way to build healthy relationships. 
it's usually the, not the most effective way to help people change or to get them to do things we want them to do or maybe that they should do. Secondly, Jesus says that in order to make the good life real, we need to realize that we will be judged with the same criteria in which we judge others. Ouch. Ouch. Listen, listen again to what he says in verse 2. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give, you will, you will be measured, will be the measure you get. And then he goes on in verses 3 through 5 to say, it is so easy to see the small speck in our neighbor's eye, but not to notice, here it is, the log in our own eye. We want to remove the speck in our neighbor's eye, the thing we don't like about our neighbor, while at the same time we have a speck that's so, uh, not a speck, but a huge log, something even worse or bigger in our own eye. When I was at Whitworth University, I taught a course on the life of Jesus. And uh, when we got to the Sermon on the Mount, I'd always show them a video of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And when the video came to this verse, why do you see the speck in your own eye, but not notice the, the log in your own eye? It showed Jesus holding this big log. And the video, the way they showed it, it, he had it over here. And it looked like it literally was coming out of his eye, just the way they had it. And it was the funniest thing. But it really made the point. I don't know why Jesus uses this log image, actually. But what I think Jesus is really saying here is that the criteria we use in judging others will be the same criteria God will use with us. Now, knowing this, hopefully, will make us a bit more mindful, a bit more humble, a bit more understanding, a bit more patient, a bit more merciful, a bit more compassionate when it comes to assessing others, when it comes to make judgments, making judgments about others. Jesus says, we need to give others the same kind of slack and mercy and grace we hope others will give us and that God will give us. Again, it's not that we should never make any judgments or assessments or evaluations of others. Sometimes we need to do that. What Jesus seems to be especially concerned about here is the way we do it and how we do it and why we do it. As we talked about earlier in this sermon series, one of the things Jesus disliked about many of the religious leaders of his day was their tendency to judge others on things that they themselves did or didn't do. They, they judged other people on the very same things that they did all the time. They saw the speck of sawdust in their brother or sister's eye, but missed the log in their own eye, in their own lives. And they were usually not very kind in their judgments. Jesus' words here remind me of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't think judging 
others is a huge problem for me. And if that is the case, great. God bless you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But it has, it has occurred to me that one way we tend to judge others negatively, sometimes uncharitably, unfairly, is through gossip. We not, might not tend to think of gossip as a form of judgment we make on others, but I think it is, or at least it can be. Someone has said that gossip is our national pastime, and, and that's probably true. I mean, everybody gossips, right? The Cambridge Dictionary defines gossip this way, as conversations or reports about other people's private lives that might be unkind, disapproving, or not true. As I mentioned in my Heart of the Matter article this week, if you had a chance to read that, Debbie and I have been reading through the book of Proverbs. And if you haven't done it lately, I'd encourage you to read through the book of Psalms and read through Proverbs. It's, it's really rich devotional material. But we've noticed as we've been reading through the book of Proverbs, we usually read two or three books a day, uh, chapters a day, we've noticed how many of the Proverbs speak to the issue of taming the tongue and spe specifically staying away from gossip, interestingly enough. Let me just share three or four with you. Proverbs 11, 12, and 13, for instance, reads this way. Whoever belittles another lacks sense, but an intelligent person remains silent. A gossip goes about telling secrets, but one who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a confidence. The NIV translation translates this verse 13 this way. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. So, um, Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. <laughs> Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid any, anyone who talks too much. And then this proverb really uh, stood out to me, Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Wow. Gossip separates close friends. Now, to be fair, some have suggested that gossip can have a good purpose. I read an article in Time magazine written by a woman named Sophia Gottfried, who reported that researchers have discovered, apparently, that gossip can be neutral and even be a useful part of conversation and information sharing and community building. She concludes her article by saying that some good can come from gossip as long as we have the right intentions, how she ended her article. See, the problem is, I think, is we all know that most of the time with gossip, we don't necessarily have the right intentions. Instead, it is often a way that we tend to ridicule or criticize or judge others, especially when we don't have complete information. So we'll pass on induendo or rumor or hearsay or whatever it might be. Sometimes it gets back to the person who we're talking about. And it can be very harmful and hurtful to them and to our relationships. And I think that's why the writer of Proverbs says, you know, if you, if you can help it, don't go there. Just don't go there. I was reading about four preachers who met for a friendly gathering. They got together. During the conversation, one preacher said, our people come to us all the time and they pour out their hearts to us. So I think we should do that with one another. Let's share a fault or something that we struggle with. 
Um, and so they agreed to do that. And one confessed that he liked to go to risque movies. And he would sneak out of church sometime to go to risque movies. Uh, now you wouldn't have to go to movies. You, you know, you've got access to it all over. But the second confessed he liked to smoke expensive cigars. And the third one confessed that he liked to gamble. When it came to the fourth one, he, he wouldn't confess. And the others pressed him, saying, come on now, we've confessed our faults and shortcomings. You need to, too. And finally, then they said, what is your secret or your vice? And finally, he answered, it is gossiping. And I can't hardly wait to get out of here. <laughs> I read about a decent and honest woman who had for many, more than 40 years, earned her living by taking in the wash, uh, taking in washing from various people. And she was asked how it was that she was so well-liked the, by the people that she came in contact with. And this is what she said. She said, I make it a practice never to say in one house what I hear in another. Isn't that great, wise counsel? Someone once said, he or she who gossips with you will also gossip about you. And I think that's so true. Gossip usually tends to be something negative or embarrassing or ridiculing uh, that we normally wouldn't say to somebody's face. And so maybe that's the test. If we're about to say something and we're not sure if it's appropriate or not, maybe we need to ask that question. Is this something I would feel comfortable saying to this person's face or not? That would probably eliminate a lot of, a lot of this if you if, when you really think about it. What I think these passages from Proverbs remind us, and what Jesus reminds us here in the Sermon on the Mount, is simply this. One way we tend to judge others, not the only way, but one way, is through our undisciplined words. And so we need to be careful with what we say. Gossip is not only potentially harmful and hurtful to the person being gossiped about, but it also does something to the gossiper. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had people share gossip with me about someone else, and it's really changed my opinion of that person. And I've got to thinking, wow, that's how quickly that can change. And, and so you, you better make sure what we're sharing is correct and honest and helpful, uh, because if not, it can really change our relationships. And I think this is why the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle James in James 1.19 says we need to be careful with our words. Let me read just one verse to you. James says that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One of the best, most memorizable uh, verses in the Bible that I think we all should know. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James reminds us that God has given us two ears and one mouth so that we will listen twice as much as we speak. How about you? How do you use your words? Do you use them maybe in undisciplined ways that maybe sometimes are overly harsh or critical or judgmental? Or do you use your words in ways that bless others encourage others, build up others, motivate others, give life to others. Jesus says the measure we use for others will be the measure used on us. And I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. 
Of course, as we have noted all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it is difficult to keep our words redemptive. It's difficult from unfairly judging others and without the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need God's help to do this. We need God's help to do everything, but especially we need his help to be disciplined in these areas of our lives. We cannot do these things without being filled with Jesus' love and grace and forgiveness. We cannot do these things on our own strength and power, but we can with Jesus helping us to do so. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for um, your word. Uh, we are convicted. I am convicted as I, as I even think about this and talk about this of my own undisciplined words at times. Forgive me. Forgive us when we haven't been as careful as we could be, as blessing as we could be, as redemptive in our words as we could be. And so, Lord, we again come before you today and ask for your help and your strength because we cannot do it on our own. And we are so grateful that you've given us your spirit, filled us with your spirit, that we might have the ability to overcome and to be a blessing to you and to be a blessing to ourselves and to be a blessing to others. And so we ask for that today. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.